Welcome to the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central, head to draftcentral.com.au for the best insight into the talent pathways across Aussie rules, basketball and netball. On this edition, we've got to backtrack a couple of weeks because not only have we got round 13 to review, but also a game from round 12, which was actually played on the weekend. So we'll get to that. It's all a little bit confusing, but hopefully we'll sort it out for you. I'm Matthew Cox. Great to have your company as always. It's always great to have the company of the Chief Editor, Pete Williams. How are you, Pete? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, not too good to be back in Melbourne after the fine weather on the Gold Coast, but I guess that's what you're used to in the middle of winter down here. And uh, just for those regular listeners, we were up on the Gold Coast for the AFLW Under-18 Championships, which is why we didn't have a NAB League Boys edition last week, but we thought, given that there was only one game on the weekend, we could wrap that up uh, right now. And let's do that for the Round 12 game that was played on the weekend. The Eastern Rangers defeating the Tassie Devils by 22 points, 11-11-77 to 8-7-55. Yeah, it was a, a quite a good win to Eastern Rangers. Tassie were actually up early on. They started really, really strongly. And then Eastern pegged them back. And it was pretty even throughout the middle of the game. Uh, Eastern were just ahead at each of the breaks uh, in the second and third quarter. And then they just kicked away at the end with four goals to one. Uh, Jackson Callow was superb early on. He kicked four goals in the first sort of, I guess, half an hour of the game. Um, and he finished with 4-3. So he could have had an even bigger game, but he was quite impressive. Um, Mitch O'Neill came off with an injury. Hopefully it's not too bad because we know he's had some ankle in the past, but uh, hopefully he's all good to to go in the very near future. Uh, And you look down the list, and Easton, of course, Mitch Mallis had a terrific game, 33 touches, kicked a goal, had three tackles, three inside 50s, and two rebounds. So uh, uh, continuing his superb season. And continuing the the Eastern Rangers' Mm. superb season, they sit well clear on top of the ladder. Two games clear mm. looking uh, at it at the moment ahead of the Gippsland Power, who you rate very, very highly. Yep. Um, so it's been a very solid season for, for a side that doesn't have too much top-end talent, particularly for this year's draft. They've just, as we've said multiple times, they've got a good team. 100%, and it certainly um, does them a lot of favours too come, come the end of the year because obviously for them to be winning, they've still got to have those players playing well. So you might actually see some of those players that may not have been in um, high draft calculations earlier in the year put their hand up because of consistent seasons. And they've got a few through there that have played Metro that are um, pushing you know forward and trying to put, uh, I guess, um, put themselves into consideration for clubs. So Mitch Mellis is obviously one. He's had an outstanding season. Um, Jamison Rossett has been terrific as well, like sort of playing between Metro and Eastern. So he's someone who might be that taller option for clubs. Um, and Zach Pretty, he missed out on the final Metro squad, but he's been playing pretty well. And Lockie Stapleton is the other one who um, was involved in Metro program and um, quite good. So uh, they've got a few in there that are considering. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they go at year's end uh, once all the teams are full strength, of course. But they can't do any more than they've done over this uh, champs period. And uh, they've capitalized on other teams not having their full strength in. And, and to be fair, they've missed a couple too because of the aforementioned names, but they've uh, got the job done and now they're sitting very pretty on top. Mitch Mellis is the one that interests me because he missed out on the Academy at the start of the year being named as part of the AFL Academy process was brought into the Metro squad based on his early season form. Why do you think he did miss out on that initial academy cut? Yeah, well, I think the 174 centimetres has a lot to do with it. The 
he's obviously sub 180, um, and that's a huge thing in um, in footy terms. I quite like him. I like him as a player. He um, plays quite well. He's one of those guys that you hope, like, as a sort of personal favourite, you hope that he does get drafted, and I think he can't do much more than he's doing at the moment to do that. Um, but it's just that height thing of... Can he play as a small forward? Yeah, I think he can. He's got the tackling pressure and uh, ability to do that. Um, I think they wanted to play him a lot more forward than they are. He's been playing through the midfield still, and I don't think at AFL level that's where he'll play. He could pinch hit in there, but you're thinking sort of Caleb Daniel type um, player where he'll probably settle into a role, whether it's a forward or a back or something like that. Um, He uses it fairly well, not quite as good as Daniel, but Daniel's about the most elite kick you'll see. Um, so, uh, you know, he's, he's got great tackling pressure. He just has a real crack and he's a player that, you know, that teammates love playing with because he just keeps going for four quarters and he hits the scoreboard. Um, he uh, does all the team things. He doesn't put himself ahead of the team and he just keeps running and he often burns opponents, um, off. So from a personal perspective, I hope he does, um, end up, uh, getting drafted at the end of the year, uh, it'll just be a question of whether clubs overlook that height. And I, ho- I hope they do because I think he's earned it. Um, and he's probably one of the most consistent players this year. And to be honest, he'd have to be up there in Morrish calculations. Um, but again, it depends how they, they look at it with him and, and Zach Pretty is another one who's been pretty consistent in that team. Yes, we uh, forget about the Morrish medal for the middle part of the season mm. with all the championships equations. Of course, for those new listeners for the under-18s, the Morrish medal is the best and fairest award given out at the end of the season for the under-18 competition. The Eastern Rangers, so they, they won on the weekend. They backed that up with a performance in round 13 two weeks ago. Uh, against the Murray Bush Rangers, you were at that game and you said that that was one of the best games that you've seen all season. A four-point victory mm-hmm. the way of the Eastern Rangers, 12-7-79 to 11-9-75. Yeah, I mean, it it well could have been because I watched the doubleheader at Shepley the week before and that was possibly the worst doubleheader <laughs> I've seen in my life. Um, not necessarily because of the skills, although they did kick at about 40%. Um, they, it was the weather conditions that allowed them for that. This was much better weather conditions up north, um, up at Wangaratta. They had a real close contest the whole day and he didn't quite know who was going to win because Easton seemed to be on top through the middle of the game and then Murray hit back and they dominated that last quarter and credit to, um, Easton's defense because they held up so well. Murray kept attacking and they missed a few shots and with about 30 seconds left, um, Cade, Chelcraft had a snap on goal and it bounced through for the behind to make it four points of dist- uh, the difference. And um, Easton went to kick out and the ball went probably 30 metres behind the goal. And uh, let's just say James Ross was in no hurry to go collect the ball. Um, and fair enough, like there's nothing to stop him. Um, but the final siren rang before he kicked it and there was some pretty frustrated Murray players because obviously it was one of the grounds at Wangaratta. It's a showground. So the distance between the goal line and the boundary, uh, no one was down there. He could just stroll over there and pick it up at his leisure. And I don't think I've ever seen someone walk so slowly back to the goal line to, to kick it out. And of course the siren rang and that was it, but full credit. I mean, Murray had a lot more opportunities than that. So they could have got the job done. They didn't quite. Um, I know Jimmy Boyer, uh, missed a few opportunities on the day. Um, uh, around there, uh, he, he kicked a couple of goals. So he kicked three straight, but there were a few that uh, dropped short or missed out. He had a shot late in the game that just sort of drifted to the right and was marked in the back pocket. So 
Um, Hudson Cack had the three goals three. Um, so, you know, there were a few that missed a, a few opportunities uh, in that game, but it was just a superb game in terms of end-to-end footy. In the first half, you thought it might end up being a complete shootout of 20 goals apiece, the way that, um, you know, it was five goals to five early in the second. It was just bang, 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 bang. And every everything was going right, and you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And then it got tighter as the game went on, but it was still entertaining, and I really enjoyed it. It was four points. You've been quite confident that the Murray Bush Rangers would eventually find form. Mm. They're obviously starting to get players back from the the various representative football commitments that they have. Where do you see them placing overall? They're, well, they'll be they'll be top eight, um, and and wild card round obviously affects yeah. that. But how? How deep can they push your likes of the Eastern Rangers, Gippy Power, the Oakley Chargers are going to be there or thereabouts. The Sandringham Dragons have dropped a little bit off the pace, courtesy of some players missing from their side, but you'd expect that they'll come back to the fore over the coming weeks. Where do the Murray Bush Rangers sit in amongst that group of teams? Well, it's interesting because at the start of the season, I, I had them as my sort of fourth place team out of, we knew who the top three were, and now obviously Easton's in that bracket, so that's not going to happen. Um, but there's three rounds left, so they can't really move too much further. I think they'll, they'll, they play Northern this weekend, then Western and GWV. I think they'll win all those three, to be honest. Um, and if why? they do... Why? Um, because I think they're better than those teams. Um, not because of, so far during the season, they've been pretty solid. I feel like Murray are, are getting their consistency together. I think Northern and Western particularly have shown their best is very good. They just don't show it on a consistent basis. Like if you see a, a Darcy Kasser, for example, get off the chain, he can really impact a game or, um, you know, or, or the same like Lockie Potter, if he can get his run going and really create something. Northern looks so much better. But it's just getting the consistency through there with Murray. And it seems to be every year with Murray, they've sort of got, they don't have heaps of flashy types. They've got some really genuine four-quarter players. And that's why it's been a bit of a shock this year because they weren't playing four quarters and they were actually getting beaten pretty badly after early losses that were close. They were getting beaten pretty badly. And um, I feel like now they're starting to get that consistency back. They're going to welcome back Lockie Ash. They're going to welcome back Cam Wilde. They're going to welcome back Elijah Hollands. Um, so that's three some three big inclusions, uh, particularly Hollands, because he's that goal-scoring player that they need. And Ash, I feel like, and I sort of said that after the game for Murray and Easton in particular, they almost beat the top side, and the only thing they lacked was a player who could kick accurately inside 50 because they were sort of just bombing it in desperate to try and get a score where Ash is the kind of player who when he gets the ball, he'll be composed. He'll pick out the right option. He's not going to bomb it. Um, and you know, he'll, he'll hit a target. And I, I genuinely believe if Lockie Ash uh, was playing that game, they would have won that game. Now it could have been completely different, obviously. Um, but if he'd come on, for example, that last quarter, Murray would have won that game. So, and that's against the top side. So I genuinely think they can beat anyone on their day. Um, Again, like we sort of say for most of the other teams, full-strength Gippy, uh, Sandy and Oakley, probably not. Um, although I think there'd be a shout against Oakley if they can uh, nullify their midfield because they've obviously got some bigger bodies in the midfield to try and nullify. So, um, But yeah, I do think Murray genuinely, and I do rate them as a side, um, and I think that they've got a lot of options. It's just how far they can go, not sure, but I think they'll 
they'll want to get in that top eight because they'll play someone lower down rather than finishing, say, 10th or 11th and having to play potentially a, a Sandy who's dropped down or, or someone like that. Speaking of one of the other top sides, they've returned to form over the last month and a bit. It, not purely on a, the win-loss ratio, but I think the brand of football has returned, which was missing earlier in the year. I speak of the Oakley Chargers, an 87-point victory against the Geelong Falcons. Read into that what you will, given Geelong have had a very poor season, just the one win so far. They've been close in a couple of encounters, but really got demolished uh, back on the 7th of July. 29-129, the Oakley Chargers defeating the Geelong Falcons 6-6-42. Yeah, well, one of our Player of the Week nominations uh, that week was Reef McInnes. He kicked a couple of goals, had 29 touches, five marks, seven tackles, and five inside 50s. He was terrific, but you could have just raffled it because all the names, you know when Dylan Williams kicks five goals, you're in real trouble. Um, Jamara Ugelhagen stepped up, kicked another four, so he's building some form. Trent Bianco, two goals, 24 touches. Um, you know, And when those three are your three goal kickers um, and among your most influential players, you're in real strife because they are able to just do something with the ball. They're, they're that class, the cream on top. Um, and to be honest, yeah, they, they, they were just too good, Oakley. Their top-end talent was just too good. Um, at the end of the day, they had 52 inside 50s to 24. They had about 80 more disposals. Um, you know, they, they had laid more tackles despite having less of the ball. Um, you know, that they, they, they were just too good, um, on the day. And genuinely when they're all together, they're a great side. Um, and credit to Charlie Lazaro too. I thought I'd throw that out for Geelong because He's doing very well in a team that's struggling, and he's uh, he's one that I think should definitely be considered uh, for next year. He's just the 177, but he's had a really consistent patch. If you look down, he's sort of averaging around 20 touches a game, three three and a half marks, four tackles. So he's uh, he's one that could be to just keep an eye on for next year. They've got a heap of them, Geelong, and they're just too young at the moment, I think. And um, yeah, next year, next year they'll show show a bit, I think. Hopefully, because mm. we said that about them at the end of last yeah. year, that we thought that they might be on song for this year. But they've had a few injuries, mm. and you've got your finger on the pulse. Is Cooper Stevens far away from re-entering this Falcons side? Uh, you hope not. They'd, they'd originally said pre-champs that he'd be back after champs. So we're hoping in the next week or two, but I guess that'll come down to team selection. Um, and there's no point risking him, to be honest. We've heard it before where they say, oh, he'll come back late in the season, and then they re- they just don't bother because especially if you're looking at it and teams go, they're not going to make finals, although they, they could with the wild card round. They're not going to do damage in finals. So therefore, he, it might only be for two games. Is it worth him coming back for two games, potentially injuring himself again? Um, and of course, I'm not medical, so I don't know how severe it is, how the, um, you know, uh, how he's recovered, anything like that. It'll be down to the club. Um, but if they genuinely think that there's not much point, and particularly with someone like Cooper, who, to be honest, he's going to get drafted. It's where he might drop a bit because of the injury, um, but he's good enough to get drafted. He's got enough runs on the board. Is it really worth it? to bring him back. So what I've seen in the past is if a player is on the fringe of being drafted, they try and get them in because they want to get them in to show their wares and all that. And that can have both a positive or a negative influence because if they come back and they they don't do anything, then that can lessen their stocks. But if they come back and they star, it can really help. But um, for someone like Cooper, I think that like he would know better than anyone else where he sits 
and there might be a case of them sitting down and go, look, we've had X, Y, and Z who are you know comfortable with you. They're they're looking at taking you here. Um, is it worth playing? Now he'll want to get back, like any competitive player, he'll want to get back. Um, and he's a crucial player to Geelong. But whether or not it's worth it, I'm not sure. Um, Mick Turner said earlier in the year he would be coming back, but um, we'll wait and see. Hopefully he is, because to be honest, it, it makes them a lot stronger in that midfield because they need that leader. I was just about to say they need someone that can lift them up. Mm. There's There's been times where they've run sides close but had a poor final quarter because they've had no match winner. And uh, he's that style of player, so... Potentially, it'd be nice mm. to see him back, but uh, as you said, it also would be a smart option just to keep him, uh, keep the powder dry, if you like. Um, you mentioned there, Reef McGuinness was one of the nominations for Player of the Week for Round 13 a couple of weeks ago. He didn't get that because it went to Matt McGuinness from the Tassie Devils, despite their loss to the Bendigo Pioneers, 9-12-66-5-7-37. What did he do to earn the respect of all those that voted for him in the Player of the Week? Well, he had one quarter of his team's rebounds, which usually helps. He had 11 rebounds of the team's sort of 45. He also had 34 touches, which was 10 more than any other player on the ground, So, um, and eight marks. So to be honest, he was um, the real linchpin back in defence, and I think without him there, it could have been a lot worse. So, um, <clears throat> And I mean, even though the final margin was 29 points, if you sort of look at the scoreboard, it was only... Um, 10 points at the final break. So it was fairly close throughout, and it was just Bendigo that kicked away at the end, which, um, as an aside, is terrific to see because we know that closing out games, they've struggled at times. Um, So it's great to see them close those games out. Um, But McGuinness, I think, he looms as a value for an overager. Um, Obviously, didn't play at the champs for allies, but he looms as someone who I think could be really good to keep an eye on this year. Um, and see how he goes throughout the um, the carnival because obviously he played last year as an overager. He's that size that I guess can turn clubs off at 192 because he's sort of like he plays key position. He's the in between. Yeah, he's not really going to be key position at AFL level. And does he have the, I guess, athletic traits to be able to adapt to that medium role? Like he's a great rebounder. The role he plays is terrific. How will he go at AFL level playing that role? Because obviously you need to almost need a third tall, almost like a Brendan Goddard type. Do you really need that player? Um, and it's sort of a specific type. So, um, yeah, I'd like, I, I like medium tools, and I think he's, again, similar to Malice. He's putting everything he can in, and to be honest, he probably should win that Tassie Devils best and fairest because he's named in their best practically every week, and um, he's really consistent. So um, I guess it's just a wait and see for him. The other results from round 13 played across the 6th and 7th of July. We had the Western Jets defeating the Sandringham Dragons by 9 points, 12-7-79 to 10-10-70. We also had the Gippsland Power going down to the Northern Knights by 43 points, 15-9-99 to 8-8-56. And in the final game of round 13, the Calder Cannons defeated the Dandenong Stingrays by 68 points, 17-5, 17-5, to 5-9, Out of those results, Pete, the, the two that surprise me, or the two that I think are worth mentioning, not so much a surprise, but the Western Jets, they continue to float under the radar. And the Dandenong Stingrays, they've fallen off the, the face of the earth in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's sort of hard to rate them because um, at the start of the season, I thought they were... 
um, performing better than you'd expect, like well above where you'd expect. And now I kind of feel like they're performing well below where you expect. So when it's all said and done, whether or not you go first half, huge tick, second half, massive cross, you don't know because obviously they're missing. They've been missing all their players. I'm willing to hold off until they get them back, which should be this week. Um, you introduce um, Cody Waitman, Ned Cahill and, and the like back into the team. Um, DeConning in defence, uh, I'd say there'll be a vastly different team. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, they're playing Sandy this week. So uh, schoolboys, footy. So they'll be missing. Um, I would, if I'm Dandy, I'd be wanting to win that game. They need to, mm. just to straighten themselves up heading into the final few rounds of the home and away season. Uh, the Western Jets, who I also just mentioned, they've actually got the bye this week in round 14. So That's a crucial one because Sandy are just sniffing around below them on the ladder. Only per- Well, they're not percentage. They're a win behind, but comfortably better percentage. So if they win, they'll go into fourth. Um, and we'll have three of the top four that we all predicted at the start of the season. So, um, And it's crucial for Dandy because if Dandy win, then all of a sudden they go above Sandy. Uh, and potentially above Calder, depending on that result. So they can go up to fifth and only be two points off Jets in fourth. So it's a really big game for them if they win um, because you want that double chance. Now, you've got to get to third, which makes it hard. But um, the benefit, of course, is that it's almost like a double chance with all due respect to whoever finishes bottom. But by finishing fourth, you also get to play the last on the ladder, therefore playing the, the weakest side in the comp during the regular season. So whether that's, well, it's looking like Geelong at the moment. It could be Rebels if Geelong win a couple in the last games. But at the moment, it looks like Geelong. So you could potentially be playing Geelong in the final round. Um, and again, as we spoke before, Cooper Stevens could be a massive difference in that game. But yeah, it's it's an absolute crucial um, game coming up for Danny. It's also a pretty good game that's also been played on Saturday uh, this coming weekend. The Eastern Rangers hosting the Oakley Chargers, 2.15 at Box Hill City Oval. That's a beauty. It, it is. So you've got the Eastern Rangers sitting on top of the ladder. We've declared that they're one of the most consistent sides in the competition for 2019. The, they'll have most of the players back after representative commitments because off the top of my head, there's not too many involved in school footy with the Eastern Rangers. No, no, no. On the other side of the equation, the Oakley Chargers, they'll get some back from the Vic Mentro squad, but they've also still got some playing school footy. Where do you see this one unfolding between these two sides? Because they met earlier in the year back in round one, and despite the, the scoreline, which was heavily in favour of the Oakley Chargers at the end of it, I thought that the Eastern Rangers were actually quite competitive. Yeah, I, I think uh, Eastern should get the job done here. Um, it's going to be interesting because if Eastern win this, they've locked up the, the minor premiership, if you like. They've definitely got top spot because there'll be two games remaining and they sit, what, bloody 50% ahead of the next highest team. So it's decent um, for sure. And if they, yeah, they and win a surprise. that, they're done. Oh, 100%. Um, oh, um, I'd love to know. If there was anyone out there that picked the Eastern Rangers to fit on to finish on top of the ladder at the start of the season, send us a message <laughs> through uh, Draft Central AUS. Unless, uh, not if you're from the Eastern Rangers, yeah, obviously, well, because we, we assume, well, maybe even them. Like, um, I have you over like, have you exceeded what your expectations were? Because for me, we saw it from that round one game that they 
really consistent win. Hang on, this is a team that could be a lot more competitive than we expected. I thought it would be an improvement on last year because last year they were very young, developing, disappoint, you know, disappointing overall after that massive draft haul the year before. Because of that, they had to play all the top ages and their next group of players practically had to play as bottom ages. So they almost skipped a year in, in, in a sense that the top ages last year didn't get as many games as other clubs. So that's why they struggled. And this year they are benefiting because all their bottom ages got to play last year. So um, Umelis's and Stapleton's and Rossiter's and all that, all of a sudden, bang, they can come out and perform week in, week out. And they've got a great uh, system there. So you think they can beat Oakley? This week, 100%, yeah. Yes? Yeah, because uh, Oakley will be still under strength. But they'll have some pretty handy players back. They'll well, we're, 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 we're assuming, yeah, yeah. They're pretty handy. Oh, inclusions. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that um, we've seen like Danny Long earlier in the year played Oakley uh, in a similar kind of game. It was close, but they were able to nullify the impact of those two. And that's the key to the game. If you can nullify those two, which I think they've got the quality to, um, then I think it'll be very interesting. I would probably, you'd almost put Mitch Malice on Trent Bianco and let him go head to head because Bianco likes to play off a half back flank sometimes. If Malice can play on him and make him accountable at half forward, it'll be really interesting to see how those two go. Um, and they're not too dissimilar in size. Bianco's still sub 180. So um, that'd be great to see. I think Williams will be the key. They've got to somehow try and stop him or, of course, uh, save the whole process and not let it get inside 50 because he's a really damaging player. And I'm glad they're playing him in the forward line now because. Playing him in defence, um, you know why? He's got to get his defensive pressure up. That was the knock on him, that he didn't tackle enough. He averaged a tackle a game. Um, but I'd rather see him do it in the forward half and give him those performance indicators there because he is just too good of a player to not have in the forward half. So he, he can cut teams to pieces. He can win games off his own boot. He's a really special talent. I think we've sort of forgotten that because of him playing in defence so much. It's a doubleheader at Box Hill City Oval on Saturday. Uh, the game prior to the Eastern Rangers and Oakley Chargers is the Gippsland Power and Tassie Devils kicking off at 11.45am. And then we've got a whole heap of Sunday games coming your way. Uh, as already alluded to, the Sandringham Dragons will take on the Dandenong Stingrays at Trevor Barker Beach Oval. 9.30 that game kicking off. Uh, at 1 o'clock up in Bendigo at the beautiful Queen Elizabeth Oval, we have the Pioneers taking on the Calder Cannons in the battle for the Calder Freeway. Uh, we also have the Murray Bush Rangers taking on the Northern Knights at 1 o'clock and then the final game of the round kicking off at 1.30 down at GMHBA Stadium, the Geelong Falcons taking on the GWV Rebels. There's a couple of interesting clashes. In fact, they're all interesting clashes because Geelong Falcons, GWV Rebels will... Get an, un- two clash. get an understanding mm. of where Geelong actually sits. It's their best opportunity in a little while to get a victory against uh, the, the fellow bottom side of the competition where the GWV can find something to get them out of trouble because I think if GWV win, then bottom of the ladder will go to Geelong in the regular season. Wild card to play out. Murray Bush Rangers, Northern Knights, two sides that are just starting to find touch and a bit of form. And the Calder Cannons and Bendigo Pioneers. Calder are similar to the Western Jets. They've been flying under the radar, but the consistency is still a bit of an issue. It seems to fluctuate. Even though they're winning games, they're not by big margins. And I get the sense that Bendigo could be primed to for a victory at home on the weekend. Yeah, it's it, all those games are going to be pretty tight. And I think from looking at the run home, 
I think we've all sort of got the idea that genuinely Gippsland, Oakley and Sandy full strength are still the teams to beat and they will be based on, um, you know, their top end talent. Um, and then you look at the other teams and you go, well, the only one who could genuinely, I, I honestly believe could beat them at full strength is Easton just based on their team thing. Whether or not they will is another question, but I think they've got the capability to do so. Um, Calder and Western, and then you can chuck in the rest. They're probably the next two that you sort of looked at. And then you've got like Danny Nong, Murray, Northern, throw a blanket over those three. Um, they're probably the ones that can't beat those teams at full strength. Um, they would have to have an out-of-the-box game. Um, but if those teams are down and they're not at full strength, I think they'll beat them. Um, and I certainly think they're better than the, the bottom group. Um, and you've got obviously Bendigo, Tassie, I think then there's the gap to Rebels Geelong. So there's sort of like little gaps forming in in, in the teams, which we sort of suspected. Um, but yeah, obviously if the Falcons win, they can, they're only two points off the Rebels from getting off the bottom. So that'll be important. Um, but the Rebels, if they win, then yeah, they're, they're, they're safe from the bottom for this year, which is uh, good for them. It's a fascinating round 14 of Nav League boys heading your way and you can catch all the action through afl.draftcentral.com.au. Not only the weekend preview, but also the weekend recap and scouting notes from across all six matches. And you can also follow all the action across social media, Pete. At Draft Central Oz, AUS on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Oh dear, thank you very much to the Chief Editor of uh, Draft Central, Pete Williams. I'm Matthew Cox, been great to have your company on this edition, the Nab League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central, have a great weekend across the board in Nab League Boys competition and we'll catch you next time here on the Final Siren podcast.